Good morning. Good morning to everybody online. Today's reading, if you want to follow along, is from the book of Mark, chapter 3, starting in verse 20. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible version. Give you a moment. And then everything will be on the screen as well, the screens as well. This passage is called Misunderstandings About Jesus. Jesus entered a house. A crowd gathered again so that it was impossible for him and his followers even to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. They were saying, he's out of his mind. The legal experts came down from Jerusalem. Over and over they charged, he's possessed by Beelzebub. Whatever you he throws out demons with the authority of the ruler of demons. When Jesus called them together, he spoke to them in a parable. How can Satan throw Satan out? A kingdom involved in a civil war will collapse, and a house torn apart by divisions will collapse. If Satan rebels against himself and is divided, then he can't endure. He's done for. No one gets into the house of a strong person and steals anything without first tying up the strong person. Only then can the house be burglarized. I assure you that human beings will be forgiven for everything, for all sins and insults of every kind. But whoever insults the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. That person is guilty of a sin with consequences that last forever. He said this because the legal experts were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. His, mother's, his mother and brothers arrived. They stood outside and sent word to him, calling for him. A crowd was seated around him, and those sent to him said, Look, your mother, your mother, brothers, and sisters are outside looking for you. He replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, Look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. The word of the Lord. Check, check. Thanks, Margarita, for reading the scripture. And we are continuing in our series in Mark, The Jesus Way. And which is really exciting for me. Um, but raise your hands just uh, as a sign of how many are out there. How many of you are claustrophobic? All right, so claustrophobic, the fear of closed in spaces, tight spaces. And I've always been, since childhood, uh, a little bit claustrophobic. And uh, the reason being, maybe lower that a little bit. Um, the reason being, I think uh, a tragedy happened. I have an older brother, three years older than me, and uh, his friend was over for a spend the night party, and they had a sleeping bag, and into that sleeping bag they placed me um, and my small body and zipped it all the way shut and kept me in there for like an hour or two. It felt like forever. 
and just my deepest anxieties and fears came up and I was like punching at the sleeping bag, let me out, let me out, and just panicking, 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 sweating, 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 almost as if I was being buried alive. That's like my greatest fear. If you've seen any television shows or whatever where someone's kind of buried alive under the ground, that's like probably the biggest phobia I have. And this extends more than just physically, my, my sense of claustrophobia. My sense of claustrophobia is also um, has to do uh, is emotionally and spiritually and personality-wise. Um, I test, if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, I test on uh, X, INFP, sometimes ENFP at other times. And then on the, uh, what's the other one? Enneagram. I test four, wing five, and four is like um, the artist, someone, uh, the creative person, someone who wants to be original, right? I don't want, you know, my words to be come from anyone else. I want my own words. I want to invent my own language, my own images. Um, and then personality-wise, I like to be spontaneous. I, don't put me in a box. I think my personality is one that rejects all personality tests. Like, you can't put me in a personality box. So it's funny that I like those tests. Um, but anyways, or I grew, uh, you know, in college, I did an emphasis on creative writing. I was in a poetry workshop with a poet and wanted to go to grad school in writing, creative writing and get my Master's of Fine Arts. And, you know, the, the way I write poetry is I don't rhyme, I don't have rhythm, I don't have, uh, you know, meter. It's like, it's all images, and it's all like fresh images that come out of my heart, and I don't want, you know, anything to be in order or structured. And God's sense of humor is that he put me in ministry where a lot of ministry is, hey, here are the structures, here are you know, the orders that we've put into place so that you know, ministry can thrive, so that people can know what's going on. And he's <laughs> always put people around me who are like, what are you gonna do? Like, what's, what's the next step? You know, don't forget this, don't forget this. Janice, for instance, every day, don't forget to wake up the kids, don't forget to pack Isaiah's lunch, don't forget to give you know, Isaiah his medication, don't forget to take out the trash, don't forget to take your medication. And I'm always like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Then as soon as she leaves uh, the house, as soon as she walks out the door, I'm like, what did she just say? <laughs> it's like, wow. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, you know, and I've always kind of felt like a square peg what? No, a round peg in a square hole? No, a square peg in a round hole, right? Always resisting being put, you know, kind of shoved into something that I was not. And I, I felt like that at school. So in elementary school, I tell my kids this, like, I would get good grades, but often when it came to conduct, it'd be ends, 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 ends. Not satisfactory, not satisfactory. And teachers would always write these notes underneath, like, visits too much, it distracts other people from their work, needs to stop talking, needs to stop interrupting the class. And so that was kind of my like badge of pride is like, 
I can study well and get good grades and still like disrupt the class, right? As long as I'm learning and no one else is, that's fine. That's me, right? I'm happy. Uh, just kidding. But um, and and so you know, uh, so in school, I I always felt a little bored and a little, a little like, man, what's going on with this? Why you know? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do this at time? You know, just, you know, let's be. So always pushing against the boundaries, always pushing against uh, the round hole, always pushing against the structures that I felt were being placed around me, which now as I've matured and I'm a, a mature young man, old man, I don't know where, am I old man, middle-aged man, um, it's very important. And I find myself teaching my children, right? Rules are important. Lines are important, structure is important, boundaries are important, because it's what makes, you know, our world go around. Um, but I secretly, to my son, I'm like, break the rules, just don't get caught, right? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm hoping there's not too many kids in this uh, room, because, you know, Jesus kind of makes that statement at the end of this, who are my mothers, brothers, fathers, and sisters? These are not my mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, but those who do the will of the Father. Um, but the reason why I tell the story about claustrophobia and kind of wanting to break out and wanting my body to be free, my mind to be free, my soul to be free, is this is kind of the dynamic that we get in this passage, right? Up to this point, as we've seen in our series in Mark, Jesus has been blowing up religious and social norms, right? That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees are sad, you see. Actually, they're mad, you see. That's a pastor joke, right? They're, they're mad because, you know, they have the religious order. They have the religious rituals. They have a sense of control, a system by which Jesus is not conforming to. And all of the boxes that they would place around people and around Jesus will not hold. Jesus is just busting down the walls. And we see at the uh, end of the last week's past chapter, chapter 2, right? Uh, we talked about new wine, right? You can't put new wine into old wineskins, right? You can't because they'll burst out. And, and this is the dynamic that we're reading here is something about Jesus, and about the movement of the kingdom that's drawing all these people and people are coming and being healed and receiving uh, good news and hearing the word of Christ. Um, it's giving them joy. It's, it's, it's a subject for celebration. And people continue to flock after Jesus and follow him. Um, he probably, you know, Probably, it's like a t he was Taylor Swift or something. He had his fan people just surrounding him. And at the same time, like we said, Jesus is working with this tension of, but he continues to call disciples closer to himself. Those who would follow more than just what Jesus could give them, but the word that Jesus was preaching, but also a, a kind of a follow me and see what God is doing and what God will do in your life, in your heart, when you follow me. So Jesus is, 
uh, blowing up the religious and social norms. Like I said, in the end of chapter 2, right, there's this incident about the Sabbath. Why are your disciples picking the grain off of wheat during the Sabbath? And that's when Jesus, hearing them, says, right, people do not serve the Sabbath, Jesus says, but the Sabbath was created to serve people, right? And basically his point is, shouldn't, shouldn't our religious kind of observances, our rituals, shouldn't these serve people, right? Shouldn't this be about loving people? Shouldn't this be about people experiencing the joy, right, that God has for them? But man, you guys are so stodgy. You guys are so uptight, right? It seems like you're bending people to make to follow the rules. Does that make sense? You're bending people to follow the rules when the structures and the rules are there to give life to people. You have it backwards. You have it upside down. Right? Um, and the question that I want us to ask is, do we have it upside down sometimes? Do we have it in reverse or backwards? Or put another way, what are the weights? What are uh, the burdens? Uh, whether that's religious or whether that's, you know, your own, the own voices in your head or the voices that people have given to you that are holding you down and have you stuck in a place, right? What has been shoving you into a sleeping bag and making you scream, right? And what does it look like to be free again? Can we be more than we imagine? Can you find your true self in the kingdom of God and following the new wine that Jesus has to offer you? to discover new possibilities, new identities, a new name from God. I am not shame. I am joy. I am beauty from ashes, right? This is who I am. This part of my life is not death, but it's life. It's alive again, right? This, this gift or this talent that I've pushed down and shoved down in my life, that's God-ordained. God gave that to me. I need to let that go, right? I need to, to sing. I need to fly. What was lost has now been found, and that's what people are experiencing as they're following Jesus and interacting with Jesus and being touched by Jesus. Something that was lost, something that was shoved down, something that's been claustrophobic, this whole time is now finally bursting free and I can, I can breathe again. I'm breathing again. What was dead was now alive again. This is the miracle of new birth and awakening in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the possibility of discipleship in the kingdom of God. When we submit to the life of Jesus Christ, we become reordered. Reordered from the cold, lifeless, bark, bark hole. That was probably a four thing. I just put bark hole there. We've been pushed down into. 
Dark hole. Lifeless dark hole. We've been pushed out. <laughs> I'm not reading right now. Um, we've been pushed down. Uh, renounce the powers and forces that give false definitions and identities and enter into a new identity as part of a new family and a new people. So our passage here in Mark 20 through 35 uh, takes on a chiastic structure. And chi, right, is the letter X in Greek. And that's just to say that a lot of ancient literature took on a symmetrical shape, right? And the reason that it takes on this shape is that there's something about the shape that lends to the emphasis or the meaning of the passage. Um, and so with the X, what's at the center of the X um, should be emphasized. And then the other, the coming out of the X or going into the center point um, are symmetrical to one another and point towards um, that central meaning. Um, so the general flow of our passage is crowd, I'll go from here, crowd, family, scribes, stuff, stuff about Satan, right, and his own house, and binding the strong man, and then scribes, family, crowd. So crowd, family, scribes, stuff about Satan. You see the X, right? That's the center. So it's symmetrical. Um, so the Satan and his house motif is at the center of the chiasm, highlighting the action within it as the crux or the turning point of the narrative. Got it? So my, from my perspective, the big idea in this passage, or pericope, which is another fancy word to say the passage, um, the big idea that is highlighted in this structure is this. Jesus does not fit into the social expectations surrounding him. He just doesn't fit. But he rather disrupts them and redefines what it means to have identity and be family in the spirit-filled kingdom life. The world is messed up and Satan's behind it. But Jesus flips the script on it all, offering everyone new identity and new possibility in his new family structure. Are you with me? Are you with me? So basically what follows is if we say in the church, oh, I'm a Christian, meaning I'm a follower of Jesus. I go to church. I'm a Christian. I want to be a part of the way chances are it's not going to be a Hallmark card all the time, right? It's not going to be pretty angels, right, flying around and hearts all the time and precious moments, right? Sometimes Jesus is going to come and mess with your world, right? He's going to rock your world, low key, high key, whatever. <laughs> Jesus is going to rock your world and disrupt you, right? Because when Jesus comes, when Jesus came into the world, he turned everything upside down. And there are things, there are patterns, there are identities, there are things that we cling to and the ways that we live that are conforming to other things, whether that's media, whether that's our family of origin, whether that's your education, your peer group, your friends influence you, your spouse, your partners influence you, 
right? And the, just in general, the demon voices, the voices in the world that says you're not enough, you're this or you're that. You should be this. You should pursue that. You should have this level of achievement or that level of um, wealth. When Jesus entered in and says, let me give you a new name, a new identity, sometimes that's going to wince, right? That's going to smart. Kind of like when you pull a Band-Aid off of a wound. It's going to be like, ow! Right? I don't like that. I don't want that. But ultimately, it'll be the best thing for you because you're moving more closely to who you're really supposed to be. Amen? Jesus, in this passage, is literally and figuratively getting pressed in from all directions, right? The crowds are following him, and he's, you know, he's being pressed in so much that he has to jump on a boat to preach. And in another in an earlier section right before this passage, it also says that Jesus had to go up a mountain. He goes up a mountain and calls those that he wants to himself, right? So there's the crowds again, but then there's the specific disciples that are more intimate with Jesus and are kind of following him more, uh, following him more for beyond for what he can do for them, the miracles that he can do for people, but also for the teaching and kind of the apprenticeship. Jesus is calling those people to him, and that's where he names the 12, right? He calls the rest of the 12 disciples, and he actually blesses disciples or kind of anoints the disciples and says, you too can go and heal. You too can go preach. You can cast out demons. And he kind of says, you know, makes them his helpers, right? Come and do ministry with me. And so they're doing this, and they go back down the mountain, and the crowds, once again, are pressing in on him, right? The whole, like, sweaty, ginormous, sweaty, spiritually and physically famished crowd pressing in to see him, to hear him, and to be touched by him. It's literally a hot mess, y'all, right? He and his disciples are being squeezed into a tiny, tiny space, so small that they're eating their Big Macs, right, with T-Rex arms, like, we can't get out of here. <laughs> T-Rex. Like this demonstration, it says in parentheses. I'm supposed to demonstrate that. And they're chewing, right? They're, they're just, right, in the sleeping bag. Chaos. And I imagine, maybe this actually is where I first got my uh, sense of claustrophobia and wanting to bust out. It's like what my mama's womb must have been like, Right? felt like laying there all scrunched up. And if you didn't know, I was born a twin, and my tw twin uh, died in infancy, but I was scrunched up there, David and Jonathan, in my mother's womb. And, you know, I was like, I need to get out of here, right? I need my space. But not only are we given a visual shrinking of the physical space, but there are groups around Jesus that are pressing in on him in an attempt to squeeze him into their social space, their, social, their idea of who he should be. We don't like what Jesus is doing, but Jesus just won't comply. He won't fit in. The God of the universe, go figure, is not, won't behave. He's not rushing to jump into those boxes. 
and his own family, his own biological relatives, his own biological family, rushes down to where all the commotion is, right? Hoping to put a lid on him, right? Hoping to maintain some sort of control on him. I think when Margarita read it, right? His family wanting to control him, right? And he just won't. You know, every one of you have that black sheep in the family, right? At Thanksgiving meals, the crazy, whatever, the crazy uncle. I think I'm the crazy uncle in my family. Um, but the crazy uncle, you know, who just is too opinionated or says uh, the wrong thing, is not, politi- not politically correct, or says, you know, maybe says something racist and you're like, ah, get this guy away. Um, you always feel so embarrassed about that black sheep, right? You wish they would disappear or just shut up. This is how Jesus' family feels. Like, can you just be normal, right? Jesus is out of his mind. He's crazy. Why can't he just quietly do some carpentry work, the family business, and not rock the boat so much? Will someone just shut him up? Please, before he just does too much damage. The scribes seeking to explain the signs Jesus is performing in authority by which he speaks and transforms the lives of people by casting out demons accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed himself. He must be demon-possessed. And this comes out of their jealousy and their envy and their frustration with Jesus. To them, Jesus represents that which they fear and cannot understand. The real power that has so eluded them in their interpretation of the law, he represents the impossibility in the scriptures, right? The impossible power, the elusive power in the scriptures that has eluded them. And they've traded this power for control. And the religious leaders feel that his ministry is so completely other, right? So off, off the mark that it must be Satan. It must come from the devil. Because to step into such disruption would rock their world and would mean turning their whole paradigm upside down. And so how does Jesus respond to this? He's like, can't you see? You've got your head so far into the ground that you can't even see good for good, right? Good things are happening. The poor are being fed. People are being healed. And you're calling me demon-possessed? And that's why Jesus says, the devil can't bind up the devil, right? The devil can't bind up the devil in the living room, right? If I were Satan... Why would I be casting out demons, right? If I were Satan, why would Satan be doing good things and bring joy and celebration to these people? And so you're so upside down that you can't even recognize God at work powerfully in the midst of the people. How messed up is that? Amen? And this is precisely what Jesus is saying and doing, right? 
Jesus has flipped the script. He's disrupting the social order to the point of enraging his family and the scribes to the point where he is labeled madman and an agent of Satan. And Jesus refuses to play the game and he would ultimately be crucified for it. Right? And there's, there's whole, this whole thing about the Holy Spirit, you know, this is the only unforgivable sin. If you blaspheme me, the Holy Spirit. What, what does this mean? What is Jesus saying? Right? He's saying, if you can't even recognize the very power that is the power of grace that forgives your sin, right? Then how can you be forgiven? You get it? This is an unforgivable sin because you're denying the very spirit, right? That would forgive you. That is the grace that saves us. You're, you can't even see it. It's right in front of your eyes. And you're, you're calling that evil. You're calling me evil when it's the other way around. Jesus is saying, look, how can I be of Satan and the cast out demons? <laughs> I can only cast out demons if I first went to the boss man's house and jacked him up and tied them up, right? It's not some like, uh, I'm not a double agent here. This is, this is not that complex of a plot, right? we're, not, we're not faking it. We're not faking this like internal fight just so we can trick you, right? In order for me to cast out demons, I'd have to tie up Satan, right? And this thing that you're doing, this hostility that you're bringing, you're coming at me with, right? This is the box you're trying to put me into. This is actually you living out of the strong man's house. This is you living out of the strong man's house. You're in it. Are you with me, church? And so the strong man's house is what's at the center of our chiasm because it points to a crucial reality. And this reality is that there is a cosmic struggle going on which has real life and political significance. And that cosmic struggle is still happening, is still at work. And we just have to have eyes to see the patterns by which we live, the systems under which people are marginalized and oppressed or made rich and powerful or are uh, killed, destroyed. This all flows out of something that ain't God. But Jesus is speaking of a different way, one that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, one that confounds and messes with the systems of the world and offers a new reality. Jesus is busting out how many of you remember the Incredible Hulk? Not like Marvel ones, but the one with Lou Ferrigno, the bodybuilder. Yeah, Lou Ferrigno, where, uh, I don't know the other actor's name, a regular guy, he turns into Hulk and becomes like the bodybuilder Lou Ferrigno. Um, and he's always wearing that whatever cowboy Wrangler shirt, buttoned down blue sh denim shirt. And he's Hulk smashing, right? Right? He, when he changes the shirt, it always shows the shirt ripping. Right? It's kind of like when I, after a workout, when I put a shirt on, it's like my shirt starts ripping, right? 
Actually, it's the belly part that starts ripping. <laughs> but, right? The Incredible Hulk is Hulk smashing, right? This shirt cannot contain me. And Jesus is saying, your vision is too small. Let me offer you a reality that is far larger than what my family has of me, what the scribes and Pharisees are saying is reality. God has a world that's so much bigger, that offers so much more space to run. There's meadows and glens and streams and salmon rivers, right, for you to lakes and ponds for you to skip rocks on and to go jumping and playing and twirling and spinning. You can skydive off of peaks and dive into mountains. No, not dive into mountains. Dive into waters, right? Jesus in John chapter 3 tells Nicodemus, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again of water and spirit. It is Nicodemus' response, but how can this be? How can this happen? How can one go back into their mother's womb? That's the rub, right? Without the spirit, we can't enter. When is the last time that you have lived in the how can this be? When's the last time you said, man, the impossible is possible? What is a breakdown moment? The space where you're utterly broken down, incompetent, unsure, lost, vulnerable, and utterly dependent. There is great possibility in uncertainty. Don't underestimate those I don't know moments. I found in my life the place of greatest growth is where I embrace those moments of disruption and the places that I'm insecure, right? I think a lot of men have struggled with this, right? I don't want to do something I'm not competent at. I guess we all struggle with it, right? If I'm not competent at something, I'll stay away from it. And so we avoid learning sometimes, right? Because we won't step into what we don't know. But don't underestimate those I don't know moments when we, you feel out of control or you're in transition and you're like, God, God, what's happening? What do I do next? It's dark, it's mysterious. Those times are amazing uh, possibilities to be redefined or for God to show you, you are much more, and I am much more than you bargained for. You are much more than you thought you were, right? Or how many of us have lived under the claustrophobia of people telling us who we are, right? I was in our prayer time this morning. Prayer time is so good on Sunday mornings because it always informs me. It always takes whatever I was going to preach and turns it upside down, and so... Maybe that's why I look like a mess up here sometimes. But anyways, um, I was sharing how I feel like I'm no longer that young pastor when I first started off trying to prove himself, trying to say, I can do it, I can do it. 
Because, you know, in various places, people have been asking me to come and lead, or people have been looking to me uh, for advice or different things, and I'm like, wait a second. I'm the old pastor, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm like, I'm like the one, the seasoned person or the one with experience. And I realized that my whole, like for like years and years and years, I've been like, I'm a younger brother, right? And so my older brother still older brothers me, right? And I obviously I feel, class, uh, I'm like, leave me, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. And I feel like I've, I've, I've carried that, like I'm always younger, right? I'm always like trying to prove I can do it. And God's, God's saying, wait a second. You have a different gift set. You have a different identity in me. Like, I'm calling you to older brother people, right? I'm calling you to be older. And I'm like, how can this be? That's just one example. What is it for you? The space that you don't have a category for. And the spirit, our MO, um, our MOs are dis- disintegrated as we put all that we are in submission on the table. Um, Jesus reveals this possibility through his vision for new kinship in the kingdom of God, right? The, his, his family comes and the people are like, look, your brother and sister, your mother on here. He's like, make sure you close your kids' ears, right? Because they'll misinterpret this. He says, who are my mothers and my, my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. In Jesus Christ, we have a new family. We have new kinship possibilities. Look at this church, right? Many of us may come from broken homes. Many of us have dysfunctional families, right? You're going to go this Thanksgiving and feel that for a lot of us. I'm going to sit at table with my family and go, oh, I remember that, right? The way that... The way that my mom says that, and it just cuts me and turns me into a little baby again, who just wants a, oh, I need an affirmation, right? We're going to feel that. But look at the people around you. In this church, there is so much potential for division. So many reasons not to claim the other as one who dwells in the same land as mother, as brother, as sister, or father, or as your own kinsperson, right? A child is still separated from her family. Somewhere else, a child is shot in the streets or their home is bombed. Somewhere, her mother, brother, sister, and father are weeping. Hopes are dashed, years of love gone in an instant. Somewhere else, a man and his family tremble at the unknown consequences of what lie ahead. What does it mean for us to be a new people, born out of water and spirit? What does it mean to not allow our lives and how we interact and relate be dictated by the world's system and means of classifying one another? You are this color, so it must mean that you believe this and that 
It must mean you lean in this or that direction and that you vote this and that. Are you Republican or Democrat? The social networking sites, the media, and the blogs have the power to invisibly rip us apart as we breathe the air of the strongman, are influenced to look at one another and see categories and classes rather than brother and sister. You sit there and you belong. You sit there and you belong here. You're in this room and I'm in that room. What does it mean to be reconciled? What does it mean for your, our church to be about justice and mercy and the renewal of the world? Does talking about race or even expressing anger mean that we are not about reconciliation? Does wearing a hoodie mean we have brought a certain politics into this church? Does being of mixed race mean you cannot be racist? Does being black mean you can do no wrong? Does being white mean you can say nothing right? I come to you humbly, confessing that I feel the heat in this room and I don't know what to do. Right? Between what's going on in the world and all the blog posts we see in the Facebook statuses, uh, it still feels, even now, today, that we are torn and it's fragile, right? Anything can happen to make those lines like visible and real again. We look at one another and we see faceless category. He thinks that she's that type of person and I confess that I don't know what to do aside from putting all of who I think I am, all my categories, my thoughts, my politics, and lay it here at the altar. Jesus makes things new. In the midst of confusion and alienation, I pray that we can be brought into a new thing, that as a church, instead of being a people that contribute to the division in our society. As a church, we are the answer, right? The bridge, the ambassadors, the reconciliation that the world needs, that we are the experts and the artists at dialogue and conversation and honoring each other's ideas and thoughts and honoring one another's dignities that we can lead the way in a divided world, amen? Because... God, Jesus, because of Jesus, who's made a new family, a new kinship in the kingdom of God. And we say yes to this and are formed anew. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you that you are leading us into new possibilities and new modes of being and that uh, in the places that we're afraid or we hang on to habit or that which has defined us, help us to be courageous and step into the unknown and let you give us a new name, a new identity, and a new family in you so that we can love the people around us, who, a world that is desperate for love, a world that's desperate for peace, a world that's desperate uh, to be heard and known and to belong. In your name, amen.